Are you looking to learn more about investing in the central Indiana real estate market? You've come to the right place. Welcome to the Indie Real Estate Investing Podcast with TNH Realty, where we discuss all things related to investing in the central Indiana real estate market. Thank you for listening and enjoy the show. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Indie Real Estate Investing Podcast. I'm your host, Jeremy Tallman with TNH Realty. We are a residential property management company that services the central Indiana market. With me once again today is my business partner, co-founder, and president of TNH Realty Services, Scott Hallberg. Welcome back, Scott. Yeah, thank you. It's good to be back. It's been yeah. a little while. It's been a busy uh, first half of the year, and you guys have been killing it on the podcast. Well, thanks for that. Yeah, it's it is busy. I mean, I think every every property management company in Central Indiana is feeling the crush of that summer rush that we always get, but. Today, I want to bring you on to talk about the top four mistakes new investors make. And I think this is a relevant topic you and I have been talking about. I talk about it a lot with Jake, our business development manager, because the bottom line, the, the appetite uh, for investment properties in central Indiana is still very high. So we have the normal, we'll call them experienced out-of-state investors coming to our market and still want to buy uh, and buy in volume. But what we're seeing now, um, there's probably a lot of reasons for it. We're seeing a lot of people who are now converting their personal residence into their rental home. And that could be intentionally. It could be that they have such a great interest rate on their property that they don't want to give up that cheap money. And so there's like, well, I'll just rent it. And there could be people occasionally, we're not seeing a lot of this yet, but it does happen is that we're seeing people who say, I really can't sell my home. So I'm going to rent it. So regardless of you know the reasons or whatever, the biggest point here is that we're getting a lot of newbie investors calling us. And in most cases, they're really interested in being landlords. So I thought it made sense to bring you on, Scott, to talk about some of the common mistakes we see with new investors. You talk to a ton of clients. I hear you're across the hall from each other. I hear you on your phone a lot with clients. You uh, correspond with a lot of clients. You have a really good pulse, as good as anyone probably in central Indiana, of what new investors are facing, what they're fearing, and let's face it, some mistakes they make. So let's get into the list for a minute. You and I worked on this a bit. It was I don't think, that hard for us to come up with it because we see some patterns and we want to talk a little bit about that. So the first mistake is that New investors don't treat their rental business or rent their rental property rather as a small business. And we came up with kind of four components and I'll let you start here. The first one of they don't really prepare um, in terms of creating an escrow reserve or a bank of money. So talk about that a little bit and what you see there. Yeah. Um, Overall, I mean, it is a small business now, and and I think that's that's the biggest mind shift you have to make. Be it coming from your personal home, and you had that personal attachment. Hey, that's my pride and joy, and you know you you have to leave it for some reason. You can't sell it, or you you're just going to be gone for a temporary bit, and you want to rent it while that while you're absent. But yeah, I mean, obviously, it becomes a business at that point, and you know, love it or hate it, that's, you have to have that mindset. And there's certain components um, to set up a good business um, in general, not just mm-hmm. for rental businesses, but for, you know, life in general and operating a business. 
is uh, set up an escrow reserve. And, you know, that is basically to have um, a rainy day fund or um, a just in case fund. You know, we recommend at a minimum uh, three months of operating expenses in, in reserve. So that way, if you have a surprise maintenance issue, a crisis that happens, a surprise vacancy, you know, you have funds that can set that you that you can use to uh, bridge that gap or take care of that issue. Hmm. Right. Yeah, I think it's I heard someone called a swan account, which is a sweep all at night account. You can call it whatever you want. Like you mentioned, you had a, several there too, but it's just you're right. You've got to have some sort of reserve. And I don't know what you think, Scott. I, I've been thinking about this a, a minute. Um it almost feels like three months in today's environment isn't enough because I think we've seen the cost of material and, and labor outpace rents. I mean, rents have went crazy, but <laughs> labor and material have went up even more. So I don't know, do you have any thoughts? Go off script here a minute, but do you have any thoughts about should that be six months, four months? Because if you have a th- let's say you have a twelve hundred dollar rental, you got thirty six hundred dollars in reserve. We know HVAC systems cost more than thirty six hundred dollars today. That's just the reality. So I don't know if you have any thoughts on that or not. Yeah, I mean, you know, there's no doubt that more is better. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, yeah. but as far as like, you know, you got to balance that cash flow versus you know setting up and paying your bills. I mean. Yeah, we have our own portfolio we've been managing and owning for over 20 years. And we have a series of reserves that we set up. I mean, some for taxes, some for insurance, some for repairs and maintenance. And so, yeah, you got to factor all that together and, you know, be at one rental where your scenario that you have, you know, $12,000 of income coming in and and your reserves 3,600. yeah, I mean that's not going to go very far in today's market, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, where an AC or a furnace can very easily exceed that. Um, so yeah, it depends. I mean, I think I've read things where you want to set up at least a ten percent maintenance reserve um, per month, and that can build over time. So that's on top of it. Maybe your your three month. So start with three months, you know, as a right. as a seed, right. and then build from there. Is yeah. I guess what I'd recommend. Yeah, that's good stuff. I mean, so it's it goes back to like, you know, don't use January's rent um, to pay January's mortgage. You have to have reserves set up because if you don't, you're going to just set yourself up for failure. Okay, let's move on to number, uh, the second piece of this mistake, number one, and that is treating residents as customers. Um, your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think it goes back to a variety of different topics here that relate to that. I mean, real estate investing and then becoming a landlord is a client and customer service industry. So you're providing your product, which is the the home, is uh, you know going to attract a, a group of people to live in it, and those become your customers. So. Right. You know, there's a, definitely a divide. I mean, there's the whole stereotype of landlord versus resident. And, you know, some states have a variety of different rules to help favor either one of those parties. Fortunately, in Indiana, we're a little more um, landlord friendly, I suppose. Yeah. Um, but, you know, there are tenants rights and and we definitely abide by those. Um, and we definitely recommend that. But the biggest thing is, is that these are people and you want to treat them well to retain them. And you hope that they uh, take good care of your property, uh, pay your rent on time. And, you know, providing a little customer service at times goes a long way. So you build that rapport with them. And we I hope we do that as a company for our owners. But if you have that natural wedge where, hey, 
they're just a tenant or they're just a mm -hmm. resident and you treat them as some, you know, I'm not saying that very many people do this, but if you have this like sub par mentality about them where they're somehow below you or whatever, then yeah, it, you know, it can cause problems. And we, we definitely want to try to uh, minimize vacancy and maximize rent um, potential and, you know, keeping people happy and providing a good place to live is, is really the mentality that we hope that all our landlords have. Yeah. Yeah. It's important. I mean, I, I think you're right. I think landlords and some, and that's not, you know, blanket statements, some landlords automatically assume an adversarial relationship that the tenant's going to, you know, call in every little maintenance issue possible, pay rent at the last minute, you know, just, just be difficult. But it is so important to create that in good environment. Cause like you mentioned, retention, um, if tenants feel like they're being treated well, um, they're more likely to stay and vacancy is not a good thing for landlords. So you want to try to create that environment where it's a, everyone's happy because um, that's just a much better place to operate from. So, okay. The third component of not treating a rental business or your rental properties, a small business is failure to build the right team. So talk about that for a minute. Yeah. I mean, you know, the team is very important, especially if you're out of state investor, you know, when you're, X miles away, hit a few hundred or a few thousand, you know, it's hard to just be there, have your boots on the ground. And so you have to have, a, you know, someone you can trust deal with the physical aspects of property management. Um, you know, we have a great blog that we did several years ago that talks about building the dream team. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, I think back of our, our two decades of, of being uh, landlords you know, when we first started, we did it all. I mean, we were local, but, and and we actually lived very close to many of our properties at the time in mm -hmm. Broderpool. But, you know, we got up in the middle of the night, had to go let people in the house. We had to paint houses on weekends and that type of thing. I mean, we were able to do that hands-on, but we were younger, right? <laughs> a little more time. And you've done some things recently talking about, you know, there's that, that line where your time becomes more valuable than the cost of service. So, right. You know, at some point, you need to hire people to do. And I know I sleep better at night, not just in real estate, but like, for example, financial services. I have a, a broker that handles my financial services. I just feel like it's something I can't dedicate my life to knowing everything about. I hired someone that can do that for me. And, you know, so therefore, you know, we have a blog that says you should have, you know, maybe a property manager, a lawyer, a CPA. Um, you know, there's, there's people that you should have and building, um, a good team is, is going to help you sleep at night. <laughs> it's going to mm -hmm. help make sure the right things happen and that your, your investment is, is on the right path as much as anyone can control. So, um, you know, a property management firm or a single property manager in your, in your stead will is a big, the biggest piece of that to I me, mean, it's going to be the day-to-day -day need that you're probably going to have to have. Right. Yeah. You need to do it yourself. <laughs> right. Yeah. And even if you're a do it yourself, I mean, a CPA is so important because, you know, yeah, QuickBooks has a, or not QuickBooks, but TurboTax, or they don't they have like a, a rental add on or something. But, you know, look, this, this is important stuff. And you're, as you're building your wealth, you don't want to expose yourself to um, audits and, and, and problems. So, CP, again, even if you're a do it yourself landlord, CPAs are important. Lawyers are important because you're going to have questions. We still have questions, right? I mean, there's still times like, gosh, that's a strange scenario. So we we consult our attorney and we know her number and she's easy to reach. 
And we, it's, it's just so valuable to have that expertise in your corner. So, all right. And the fourth component of uh, not treating your property as a rental, a uh, small business rather, is not establishing goals. Talk about that for a minute. Right. You know, I think goals are important. I mean, if you don't have, you know, um, those set, then it, it, your, your company or just your overall success can wander. And, you know, so I think it comes down to, you know, understanding the financial aspects of the business, having the metrics that you can measure to determine if you're on target or not. And then at the end of the year or, you know, uh, monthly or whatever frequency you check, you know, do a check-in on, you can kind of see if you're, if you're hitting those goals or not. Um, you know, there's a, obviously different strategies in real estate investing. Some people have short-term goals. Some people have long-term goals. You know, there's no right or wrong. It really comes down to what your personal ambition is. But, you know, for example, most of our properties have been long-term holds. And right. I think that the long-term game is a very uh, noble game. And it's something that ultimately, um, you know, we believe in, but you know, there's other strategies out there. We've done other things in the past. We've, we've done short-term, we've flipped homes, we've done things like that. So, you know, there's a variety of different options. And if you don't establish a, a set plan for the particular property that, you know, you're looking at, you, you won't know what you're shooting for. Right. Yeah. I think it, I think that's right. It's exactly right. And because I think it's important, like you're right, you and I, we've said, look, we want to hold these properties like a long time. And we're still talking about that. Like, how long do we want to hold these things, right? Because we're in the 50s and it's like, how much longer do we want to be landlords? And right now it's like, we don't have any desire to sell. There's been plenty of opportunities to sell. Um, but it's like, we just always felt like that's a long-term, you know, part of our business there is our rental properties. But it is important to understand what you want to do, have some end games. So like if, you know, I want to rent this long-term or I could flip it or whatever it is, just come up with, with a plan for the property. Like, so like you mentioned, you can measure and set, when you set those goals, you can measure your results against what your expectations were. So, all right, that was a lot. That's because we, we do firmly believe that a lot of landlords, new landlords, particularly don't treat their rental property as a small business. And we're firm believers that you need to do that. So we spent a little extra time on that mistake. Moving on to mistake number two that new investors make, and that is underestimating everything. Your thoughts on that, Scott? Yeah, I, I was thinking about that. You know, and it goes back to you know, look, when we first started, you know, we made our mistakes. I mean, you know, we didn't have a smooth path every single day. Um, as you hit it, you know, we're in our fifties now. We've we've lived. Um, you know, a while. And as you get older, you, you become wiser. Right. <laughs> that's, hopefully that's the main, that's the only benefit to getting sure. older, I guess. Right. But overall, you know, one of the things that I, I was trying to think back of what we used to do, what, what things happened to us early in our, in our um, uh, property uh, investing career is that we underestimate everything. I mean, I don't know if it was over exuberance and we were overly optimistic, thought we could control it all. Um, you know, those are the things that, you know, I, I think about. And, and over time, we started building in a little more, um, you know, worst case scenario <laughs> modeling and, and adding some, mm -hmm. some contingency planning. But yeah, when it comes down to it, as far as like topics, um, cost and, and maintenance, uh, especially the upstart side of it, um, making it um, rent ready is uh, sometimes they need a lot, sometimes they don't, but, you know, just making sure you set the proper budget to either capitalize and, and, 
you know, build that asset and book that asset value with its um, startup, you know, included. And then um, after that gets goes live and becomes a rental property, then, you know, just setting the proper um, expectations on how much maintenance you're going to have and not hoping that everything's going to be perfect, even a completely rehabbed home or a new home, things will break and there will be maintenance. Um, and then when there's vacancy, I mean, you know, depending on the time of year, sometimes filling a home, especially in central Indiana, can be a, a, a challenge. I mean, you have seasonal effect a little bit here where, um, you know, in a, in a winter, it does slow down a little bit. But overall, just setting up a, a proper um, expectation for those those periods. And, you know, I go back to maybe our bankers helped us with that. They used to, mm -hmm. you yeah. know. We used to go to them for loans and they would factor back out a lot of things. And that kind of showed us that, you know, they were taking, um, you know, not worst case scenario into consideration, but not best case either. So right. somewhere in the middle. Yeah. And that helped us um, kind of build a better expectation later in, in like mid midstream of our career, where by the time we had done it in a few years, I think we, we had a little less stress and we kind of, um, rolled with the bumps a little, little better at that yeah. point. Yeah. Some good points. And I, you know, I, we both seen performance, um, from let's call them, I don't know what we call them, real estate educators, real estate, whatever you want to call them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Consultant services. Yeah. And they're just like so far off from reality. I mean, you know, like 5% maintenance, 5% vacancy. It just, it's, you're going to, you know, and, and, and to, to make that even worse is that, like we mentioned before, the cost of things have just went up. So we even have, you know, investors that have been with us for a long time that paid X amount for a furnace, let's say in 2018, and now they have to get a new furnace or, you know, maybe it's a different house and they're paying a lot more. And so it is, I mean, we, I think we see that just in our own stuff. It's like, wow, this stuff is getting really expensive. Um, so it's important to be conservative in your modeling. And like you mentioned, vacancy, um, you know, we've had great experiences. You and I have had tenants for 20 plus years. Yeah. Right. I mean, that's, it's amazing. Now that is not yeah. normal. So listener, don't think that's normal. It's not. Um, but because a lot, we've, and we've also had a, a lot of properties where it's one and out almost, it feels like every year. So you have to make the correct budgeting. You have to be conservative. Um, because if you don't, you're going to be disappointed and get frustrated. And unfortunately, we see some people that, you know, set bad expectations, they underestimate everything. And within a six months or a year, they're out. They're like, this is not what I thought it was. And I'm, I want to get out. So um, that that's problematic. Okay. Mistake number three that new investors make is overanalyzing every deal. So your thoughts on that one? Yeah. You know, I think, again, I go back to you know, early in the phase, I mean, we, I'm sure we analyzed things quite a bit and, you know, that's important to I me. Mean, you got to do your due diligence, um, you know, make sure you, you run some numbers, um, kick the tires, um, you know, look at things from a couple of different angles and, you know, developing a checklist and, and maybe a proven process for that would help. I mean, I know over time we built some modeling that helped us. Right. I mean, eventually we went into the you know, the arena where we were buying homes with very little time, uh, be it the auctions and things like that. So we had to hone our skills and practices on very quick decisions. Yeah. Um, you know, also I'm a big believer in, in some of the, 
you know, theories out there like the blink theory and, and, you know, just things that you make decisions off your gut a little bit, but I wouldn't recommend investing in real estate that way necessarily, but it's like, you know, you definitely don't want to over, um, analyze and have paralysis. Yeah. I don't yeah. see that on this side, you know, the, the areas that I manage, you know, I know this is more on the brokerage side probably, but I do see it a little bit on like maintenance costs where someone will want to get, you know, three to five bids for yeah. a paint job. And, and you, and you're thinking, okay, I get it. I mean, everyone wants to get, um, a good value and they want to, you know, uh, save money if they can. I mean, in, in your personal life and in business life, it's always important. But at the same time, when you really stop and think about what that does, is it really slows the process down. And, you know, to get five different contractors out there to give you numbers, I mean, that could take some time. And then you're going to piss off four of them, probably, yeah. you know, the fact that you're not going to give the deal to them. And then what you've done is you've burned all that daylight where you've just had the extra vacancy. So maybe you end up losing all your savings on vacancy, extra right. vacancy. So yeah. you may want to speak a little more on, on the brokerage side that's in yeah. your area. Yeah, I think it's an interesting perspective and I'm glad you brought it up because I think it's not only about deals, which again, I see a lot of and Devin, our broker, um, our, our lead uh, broker sees a lot more of than I would. But yeah, I think we 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 are in a market of rising values, and you and I have talked about this because we have we struggle with it because we look at okay, there's a two bedroom, one bath double in this area. Back in the day, we paid ninety for it, and now it's two hundred seventy thousand. That's a hard thing to get your brain around, right? Because it's like, well, we have one just like it, the same area, and we pay we have to pay three times as much for it. Um, that is a hard mental barrier to get through. Now we're we're old, and so but let's talk about the new person coming out there because I remember the first deal we bought, and it was hard. You know, I I, I have vivid memories of sitting in my car talking with you, like, and we'd seen it like two or three times, and I'm probably more aggressive that way. Maybe if, I, I want to buy. I'm just that way. I'm a little less patient maybe than you are, and I'm like, you're ready to do it, ready to do it. And I remember like, okay, let's do it, and it was like, whoa, it's it felt like. That's a big deal to buy your first property. Um, we did look at several, but I don't think we wasted much time. We knew what we wanted to do and we went out and bought it. Here's my takeaway on this from the brokerage. And I've actually talked a lot about this. I wrote a blog about it. Is to me, if you have a long-term vision for property, it's hard to make a mistake buying a rental property. I mean, yeah, you could buy it and, and maybe a two or three, it may take a while for it to appreciate because maybe you didn't buy it at a great deal. Maybe you overpaid for it even. But if you have a long-term perspective on it, it's almost impossible to lose money in real estate. And I'm not saying it's fail-safe. I'm not saying it's like guaranteed. But again, if you look at it over the long term, don't fret about paying an extra $1,000 or $2,000 or whatever it is. Um, because at the end of the day, that is nothing as a percentage of the gain that you should make, assuming we don't have some sort of apocalypse and everything crashes. But um, it, it's just, again... Overanalyzation, the better deal syndrome is real. And I think it's important for investors to say, this is what I want, and then go out and get it. And if you have to pay a little more for it, you will not sweat it. Um, in fact, Scott, I think you can agree with this. And we've talked about this. Like our biggest regrets are are never what we bought. Our biggest regrets are that we didn't buy more or properties that we just didn't buy because we felt we were overpaying for it. Right. I mean, my I'm right about that, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I, yeah, I agree. And and you know, it's like we we have deals that maybe we weren't 
overly excited about buying. I mean, we had some, I wouldn't call them mistakes, but we had some things that we thought we were going to do one plan with it. And I had turned into a different plan That's right. because we were upside down temporarily. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, you're right in the long run, they right side of themselves because of appreciation and it may take a few years, but in the long run, generally, um, you know, when you factor in all those other areas of, um, you know, return, it, it does pay off. Um, no, can you lose money in real estate? Oh my God. Yeah. You can, you can mm-hmm. make some huge mistakes if you, you know, if you had really bad advice or, you know, I'm sure everyone's heard the nightmare stories about buying a money pit and things that, you know, had got off awful problems. But um, generally, though, if you do your due diligence on a minimum level, get your home inspections done. And, you know, there was a period where people weren't doing that, but right. kind of maybe back people right. are doing hopefully. But um, yeah, still, though, today's market, it's you have to make decisions quickly. I mean, there's this limited inventory. And, you know, we're trying to explore areas that maybe give a little more time, like some of our newer markets we're going into. But here in central Indiana, at least, you have to pull the trigger. I mean, if it's a, a good property, you're gonna you're gonna have competition, and you're gonna have to pull the trigger. So, do your due diligence, but do it quickly, and, uh, and then get your offer or made. And yeah, we've also seen people that are just kind of like on the fence forever. Like, should I do it? Should I not do it? And you know, at some point, you have to decide: do you want to become a real estate investor or not? And if you do, you just got to do it. That's right. You have to. You're right. You have, you have to. Am I going to be a real estate investor or not? Because there's a lot of tire kickers, a lot of wannabes. Um, it's that's why I remember so vividly the first time we said, "Okay, let's let's buy it." Um, that's a big decision, and um, I will tell you though that the second, third, fourth, fifth properties become much easier, right? Because <laughs> that, that that initial fear is over. And, um, you know, you and I said, we're going to buy one property a year and we ended up buying one property a month. It was about yeah. what we were doing and we got the fever and, and, uh, well, I'm glad we did. I mean, I think we're both of us much better off for it. Yeah. So. I, like I said, the biggest regret I have now is we didn't buy more. That's right. Absolutely. Okay. Mistake number four that new investors make is that they don't look long-term. Um, talk about that a minute. Yeah, I, you know, I I don't know if I blame infomercials and the Carlton Sheets real estate school yeah. and all that stuff, but you know, people talk about cash flow and getting checks in their mail and you know, cash is king and it's it's sexy, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, if you focus on that only, I mean, you're missing out a lot of other aspects of real estate investing that that build and and can help you um, in the long term. And, and again, I guess it goes back to our strategy. We've mostly approached um, at least our holdings uh, from a long-term aspect. And I think that that's made the biggest, that's moved the needle the most in my um, financial (laughs) results, I guess, Mm -hmm. you know, and I'm sure it has you as well is that, you know, initially that was, uh, you know, we put what we had into it and, you know, we were, you know, we, we didn't come with silver spoons in our mouths. We had to nope. earn that money and put that into this, into real estate. And, you know, it, it has appreciated. And now that has become a, a big bucket of, of assets that we own. That's going to provide us with hopefully a nice uh, retirement at some point. Right. But, you know, overall, you know, I think having the right mentality, this is not a penny stock. It's not a um, stock market investment, it's not going to have that rapid, you know, daily 
uh, transactional uh, wow factor. It's it's more of a long term play from from a lot of aspects from um, a results aspect and from, you know, if you look at your month to month cash flow, I mean, you're going to drive yourself crazy. I mean, you're going to right. lose your hair. You're going to turn gray or whatever, yeah, because, you know, there are going to be rocks and bumps in the road. Um, and so if you look at, okay, this month, I didn't make my, I didn't get my check in the mail, you know, that's, that's going to be really tough to swallow. Um, but if you had the reserves and you set up, you know, those type of things and look at it from um, a business that needs to be self-sustainable first. And then maybe if it has a return on a yearly basis, you can take it some income off of that's fine. But, you know, we, I can honestly say that in the 20 years we've investing with our real estate, we've never taken money out of that business. That's right. We've kept it as a self-sustaining business and it has reserves that has, you know, profit and loss each year. We've had years where we've lost, We've had some years where we had good cash flow and made some money, but then with tax write-offs, you know, obviously there's some tax shelter that we always take advantage of and really appreciate. But at the end of the day, you know, we didn't look at it as a paycheck. I mean, we looked at it as a long-term wealth building event. And yeah. I'm not saying it's made my life easier or or made my life less stressful, but I don't, I don't know. I think I would be insane if I didn't think otherwise. <laughs> I think I have been yeah. really, really bonkers, like yeah. stressing about every little penny and, and worrying about every little transaction. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of good stuff there to unpack. I mean, you know, you, you and I were landlords first and then we, we became, you know, for lack of a better term, it has some, some people I think it has a negative connotation, but we were flippers for a long time and we, we had, we made good livings being flippers, but we didn't, and, and maybe we, you know, we put some of that away, but we know we spent a lot of that money. I'm sure we didn't necessarily gain wealth from flipping, right? Now, I think there are people out there uh, that did a lot more volume than us, and we've actually had one on this podcast that could say they probably built some a good amount of wealth from flipping homes. But for us, flipping homes was more about this is our paycheck, this is what we do. The rentals were this is our long-term asset uh, appreciation stuff because it's like any stock even. When you, when you flip a home, when you sell it, it will never make you money again. It's gone. Right. So you're always looking. And I remember that pressure of always having to find the next deal. Um, so it's it's just a different thing. And you know, the, the sad reality, I mentioned it briefly earlier, is that we have many examples of investors who just quit really early because they didn't look at it long term. Maybe the first month they owned a property or second month, their furnace went out. And that sucks. I mean, that that's a bad thing. When you're a new investor, it's like, whoa. Now I've got all my cash flow is more than gone this year. And this is horrible. I was sold a, you know, th- this is, I was conned, whatever, whatever it is. I never should have listened to that person who told me to invest. Um, this has been a nightmare, but I do think, and we've seen examples of this, that people that just kind of stay the course, um, look at it like a business. Um, and, and again, have that long-term vision for the property um, are the ones who ultimately see the best success. Yeah, I totally agree. And I think it just, you know, not only from a, you know, business aspect, but just from a personal wellness aspect, I think it just helps, you know, sleep at night and, uh, you know, obviously you need to pay attention and be aware of your, your investment, but, um, you know, focusing too much on the short term is, is definitely could be frustrating. So, All right. Well, that's the top four mistakes that we see new investors make. Scott, 
thanks so much for joining me. I appreciate it. Yeah, it's been a good time. And and again, you know, I, I feel that, you know, one of our main aspects of doing these, these uh, podcasts is to help people and, and hopefully, you know, we were able to give some advice today to help people um, get over some issues or think about things differently. So yeah, good, absolutely. We hope everyone. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I we hope everyone's picked up some information that'll help them with their investing. Uh, we'll be back next month with another podcast. In the meantime, we encourage you to share this podcast with your investing friends, leave us a review and don't hesitate to reach out to us with any questions until next time. Thank you so much for listening and please stay invested in your investment.